This is The Guardian. Today, the island nation that's disappearing. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Tuvaluan people are very beautiful and they have a very beautiful culture. They're very welcoming, very hospitable from the moment we arrived. There was lots of singing, beautiful harmonies coming out of church buildings. I think that's the, the beautiful thing that I experience is despite this really serious threat that they are facing as a nation, Everyone was very positive and everyone smiled. Kalalina Fainu is a reporter who lives in Papua New Guinea. With her husband Chris, a sound recordist, and their baby, she made the journey recently to Tuvalu, a Pacific island nation that's just north of Fiji. They went to capture the sounds of a country that's being lost to climate change and to talk to people who are losing their homeland. When I was growing up, we would go to the beach, go out snorkeling, diving, really pristine beaches and lots of green vegetation. And, you know, so that pristine environment has eroded over time. The nine atolls that make up Tuvalu are disappearing under the rising sea. Climate scientists project that if the world's carbon emissions continue at the same rate they're at now, much of this country will be uninhabitable within 30 years. By the end of this century, it could have gone altogether. And if predictions are realised, that's the end of uh, Tuvalu, the whole country and the identity, the cultural heritage, would be lost, completely wiped out from the face of the earth. Already, people on Tuvalu are having to deal with the extreme consequences of the climate crisis. Pacific leaders have been warning about this for decades, and people on Tuvalu are still fighting to protect their country. Now, the government has decided to take a radical approach. If they can't save the nation, they say... They'll archive it. As our land disappears, we have no choice but to become the world's first digital nation. Our land, our ocean, our culture are the most precious assets of our people. And to keep them safe from harm, no matter what happens in the physical world, we'll move them to the cloud. 
islands like this one won't I think our government has seen that because the future is uncertain, we should look for other ways to maintain, sustain our culture. Tuvalu is the first nation in the world to create a digital archive of itself. But it may not be the last, as more people are made stateless by the changing climate. We don't want to be swallowed by the sea. So instead of us going and telling those big countries to act, we're acting now. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus. Tuvalu, how a country prepares for its own demise. Kalo, tell me what it was like getting to Tuvalu. It's a lot of hopping around because you can only get to Tuvalu from the Suva airport in Fiji. Took about 14 hours changing planes. Currently can't see any land. I just see the deep blue sea, but um, hopefully we spot a little bit of land soon. We finally started to see this tiny, thin little strip, a tiny little bit of land. And as you're slowly coming down the, the tarmac, you are so close to everyday life. You're literally seeing houses along each side of um, the tarmac. Um, yeah, people's homes um, backed up right onto the, the airstrip. You can see into people's backyards, like literally kids, are, you know, they'll stop what they're doing and, and wave at the plane. And <laughs> when the aeroplane was reversing into the terminal, I felt like I was in a car reversing into someone's driveway. That's what it felt like. So it's um, not your normal kind of international airport landing. Um, but yeah, welcome to uh, Tuvalu. It really kind of sets up the scene for, you know, the kind of limited space that they have um, on the island. <sighs> so we are just taking a walk on an international airstrip. <laughs> Apparently this is the place to be every afternoon. People come and play volleyball, ride their bikes. Except for on those days when the planes are landing, of course. (laughs) So a small country, but one that I imagine has a really distinctive culture, you know, as a Polynesian island. Your Majesty, on behalf of the people of Tuvalu, it is my great honour and privilege to welcome you and your husband for the first time. That until the late 70s was a British colony. Tuvalu has little in the way of land or natural resources, but we believe, Your Majesty, that we have a happiness, culture and friendliness which are perhaps more important than pure material wealth. Today it's a Commonwealth nation, so a constitutional monarchy under King Charles, but it's also part of a vast community of Pacific islands. Tell me a bit about how all of that has shaped what it's like today. You can see and hear in the languages and see in the culture all the little things that come from different parts of the Pacific. Some people have described Tuvalu as kind of this this point where everyone has come together and so many different influences have 
come and created this really beautiful and, and unique people and culture and language, kind of like this cornerstone of the Pacific. And it makes it really for someone that comes from the region, I guess it makes it feel like a very familiar place. Mm. Um, and so it was really interesting to see the similarities alongside all the uniqueness as well of Tuvalu. Gosh, yeah, it must be absolutely fascinating. Tuvalu's particularly susceptible to the rising sea levels caused by the climate crisis. How are people being affected right now? So they spoke about how in the middle of the road and in the in, on the land and in the soil, you can see water bubbling up and that's how they know that the water is rising. It's not just the water that comes from the side. That's what I th- always thought that you know, sea levels rising was just the water that came in from the coastal parts, but it's actually water coming up from underneath the island. And then when they get these big king tides, which is a um, a seasonal thing. According to scientists and the Tuvalu residents, king tide usually takes place during the time between the end of February and the beginning of March. But in recent years, the king tide has become more and more unpredictable. Because the level of the sea is already high, these, these big tides come up right up to their homes over all of their crops, which ruins all the food that they're trying to, to grow. My name is Seve Bainil. I'm the Minister of Finance and the Minister responsible for climate change in Tuvalu. I spoke with Mr. Seve Payenu and he uh, shared with me some stories about the king tides that are happening in Tuvalu. A combination of uh, things happen. It's the water from the sea, actually, which is surging across on island, and also water from underneath the ground seething through, uh, result in a number of uh, low-lying uh, housing being flooded. One of the girls I spoke to, Lily, spoke about places that used to be there just don't exist anymore. So um, we go for a picnic, especially at the um, northern and southern ends of this beautiful island. We always notice that a piece of land has been um, washed away by the sea. How far above the water are they at the moment? How far above sea level? So two of the nine islands are almost below sea level and most of the other islands are sitting at about just three metres above the sea. And you said all of this is affecting what food's available to people? That was one of the things that really stood out for me. Um, even though I knew before I went there that, you know, the the resources were limited and food, food supplies were limited, um, it's not until you actually experience it that you, you kind of really sinks in. So, because of the poor quality of the of the soil, because of you know the salt water coming up from underneath, from the king tides coming in and ruining their crops, agriculture has really been affected. There's less and less people uh, able to grow vegetables, especially uh, we have this. Uh, I don't know what the English name is, <laughs> but uh, we call it bulaka, and oh, it's yum, and I love it. And now we can't grow it anymore. Whatever you're growing, the sea will get there. And we experienced that personally. I wanted to get a little bit of fruit and 
because I live in in a Pacific country and I've traveled across the many Pacific islands. I've never experienced a Pacific island that doesn't have uh, something like a, a banana or a pawpaw. And um, there was not one piece of fruit available that was fresh. Wow. Um, the only fruit that you could find were apples that had come from overseas somewhere that were probably like three or four months old and, you know, the, the quality of them and the taste of them are, were really bad. And even people have mentioned that it's getting harder to, to find their natural proteins, which, which is fish. Uh, growing up, I have uncles. They love to go to the sea. Every day when they, they go fishing, they'd be like a big catch and we would share it with all our neighbours. And now... Some days are good days, <laughs> and most of them are just bad days. A, a huge percentage of their foods are imported, so the, the quality of foods that they're eating is really poor. We eat what we can get from the shops, especially canned food. It's like tin fish and corned beef. I know it's unhealthy, but we don't have any other option. But also it makes it really expensive. So that, that definitely is a big struggle um, in a place like Tuvalu. And so this combination of catastrophic effects makes it sound like the islands are becoming almost unlivable. Does it mean that a lot of people are leaving Tuvalu? Some people are leaving with that in mind. And I know from speaking to a representative from one of the biggest churches in Tuvalu, he said that it was a big concern for the members of their congregation, you know, should we stay or should we go? Mm. And I spoke to people who had very different views on it. Uh, some people just said outright, I will stay here forever, I'm never leaving. Then there are others uh, who have already moved. You know, people who have migrated because they've decided that probably it's inevitable that, you know, at in you know within 30 to 50 years that the land will no longer be okay to live in and that they want to set up a life somewhere else um, for the future of their children their families where are they tending to go um new zealand is probably the main one there's an existing tuvaluan community and then uh, other pacific island nations and maybe trying to get to places uh, like australia as well but it's difficult you have to have a means of making a life in a new country tuvalu's pace of life is very slow it's quite peaceful you know it's it's hard to even get on the internet sometimes so it's difficult to go from a really remote tiny island and and set up a new life somewhere else and I don't even understand how you wrap your head around that as somebody living there. Someone who really put it into perspective for me was um, one of the younger people that I spoke to. So Lily, she's, she talked about how in her lifetime, maybe I'm going to have to leave. Maybe my land will disappear. For us uh, youth, the main concern for me is fear. And fear is the worst feeling ever. It's, it's terrible. I don't like fear. It's like, it's worse than being afraid of heights, afraid of the dark. Now we're afraid of the future.
And the great injustice of this is that Tuvalu and the other Pacific nations that neighbour it and are also under threat are among the least polluting in the world. Yeah, that is the great injustice. Um, I, I think something really interesting that the Minister of Foreign Affairs spoke about too was trying to impart this idea on the world and on their big international neighbours, their Tuvaluan values, which is living as a community and thinking of us as a whole. Because all the land in Tuvalu belongs to families and clans and uh, there's no freehold land where one individual owns land. We have a collective ownership of, of land. And so the, everything is about the, the collective interest, taking collective responsibility for, for issues. And, and I think uh, Tuvalu and Pacific Island countries that, uh, that, you know, that are very familiar with this way of life, the Pacific way of, of doing things, to, I think there's, there's, there's a lot that the world can, can learn from that. And, and, and I guess the message is for, uh, for countries to rise above the politics and the immediate economic uh, interest and to look at the, the, the bigger picture, uh, what is best for humanity and our future generations. Politicians in Tuvalu have been really outspoken, haven't they, and, and really trying to get the international community to realise what's happening there. Now we want to show you some incredible images of Tuvalu's foreign minister delivering a speech to the COP26 summit, uh, knee-deep in seawater, wearing a suit and tie. And people might remember seeing the video of Simon Coffey, the foreign minister, a couple of years ago at COP26. That kind of went viral. Yeah, Simon Coffey actually did a, a trial run on this sort of creating a digital copy of um of the nation and they did it for just one island and he stood in front of a, a digital copy of a very specific island as, as the camera pulled out he's standing knee deep in the ocean asking the world to understand the the plight of uh, the Tuvaluan people and how how urgent it really is we cannot wait for speeches when the sea is rising around us all the time climate mobility must come to the forefront we must take bold alternative action today to secure tomorrow so, you know, they've been trying hard, but it, it sounds like it has been a bit of a struggle to get the international community to really recognise the magnitude of this situation, that these islands are going to disappear. What have people on the islands been able to do practically to try and slow the progress of the destruction? People are doing what they can, putting up uh, seawalls, they're moving their homes from right on the outside to right next to the road. And Tuvalu is literally one big, long main road. There's also a um, big land adaptation project that's happening um, in Tuvalu at the moment mm. where they are dredging up sand from um, the deep ocean and bringing it up and extending the land up and out that they can use to build you know, more homes and other infrastructure. You know. All the magic is done afterwards, so no stress. Yeah, just be yourself, relax. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, I spoke with a local foreman, Willa Poliata. He was really proud of the land adaptation project because it provided, you know, some real work opportunities for locals. It's something that they struggle with is to have, you know, opportunities for work. He spoke um, with lots of tears in his eyes about what it meant 
you know, the idea of, of leaving his home, um, his homeland. Um, but also, you know, I guess in terms of what it represents, it represents hope. So before they do a lot of talking, but now we see the action. The work has been started, reclaim land, uh, give us a new hope, new opportunities for us to value people. Beyond preserving the land itself, people are also understandably very passionate about preserving the island's culture, which, you know, as you've as you've mentioned, is just so multifaceted, takes in so many different influences. Can you tell me a bit about the sounds that you recorded and the cultural artefacts, as it were? From the moment we arrived, you know, we were invited along to come and spend an afternoon with one of the local church communities. And there was lots of feasting, which is very typical in the Pacific Islands. There was some raw fish. There were some adaptations to traditional food due to the lack of freshly grown crops. But there was still, you know, all the flavours of the Pacific with, um, you know, grated uh, creamed coconut and things like mm. that. There was lots of dancing. Um, we were lucky enough to be introduced to the a dance called the Faitele. And all these people sat around a kind of just a homemade kind of drum, which was just like a big slab of, of wood. It was kind of like communal drumming and everyone was tapping on it, a drum beat which got faster and faster and faster. And then all the ladies around the edge um, started to dance. And, you know, as it got faster, they had to move faster. And then at the end, it got too fast so they can't keep up and everyone just broke out into laughter. My partner Chris was invited to go along and hang out with the boys and they drank uh, kava, which is also something that's very common in in the Pacific region. Kava like wine? No, not. (laughs) So kava comes from a a plant and you get the root, the kava root. Um, They dry it, they crush it up. It turns into like a powder and then you mix it with water and it has a slightly narcotic effect. It makes people feel relaxed and calm and the men often Mm. talk and sing late into the early hours of the morning (laughs) (laughs) so the government has come up with this novel way of trying to preserve the island's culture for future generations And they've started work on this digital archive. Can you tell me about how it's going to work? So I guess there's two different parts to it. One is about being able to put all of their government systems into a digital space. So it's hard to get your head around, really. So, But even if the land disappears, they still have a government that is formed and they still have citizens of Tuvalu, even though all their citizens of Tuvalu are living in other countries. The idea is that if you have, uh, for example, you want to get married, but you still want to get married in as Tuvaluan citizens and have a Tuvaluan uh, marriage certificate, you can, one, you can get married in the metaverse 
you know, in a kind of like immersive experience with other people. But two, you can register your marriage as a Tuvaluan marriage, which is a really, you know, interesting and new thing because I don't think, you know, anyone has had to do that before. Um, and then the other side of it is is the preservation of culture and the spaces that people know and physically live on today. So people can create avatars, they can visit the place through things like VR technology, they can meet with people who can share stories with them, they could um, sit in a, a, a virtual carver circle and they could all sing and, and, and play the guitar and, you know, maybe they're not physically all together but they can still have that experience of being together um, in this digital space. Is it possible to try that out at all at the moment? How how far have they actually got with it? They're still in the very early sort of um, concept stages and talking to a number of different developers, but it'll be really interesting to follow and see when they start to trial some of these things because I, th I think they have to. They have to have this as an option. When their future is so uncertain, the response to it has, is, has been interesting as well. Many people think it's a really fantastic idea, but there are others that who who are a bit reserved and said that okay, it's cool, but I really want to be here. As a youth, I'm still learning my culture. I don't want to learn about my culture from a technology, from a metaverse. <laughs> I want to learn it physically on the land where I grew up, with the people that I grew up with. Yeah, I mean, you described that magical experience of being in and amongst everybody dancing and how they got taken over by their own excitement and the pace of the music and, and everybody falling into laughter. It's difficult to imagine how something so spontaneous and freeing could happen in the metaverse. Yeah, that's right. There are definitely certain things that cannot be replicated in, in, in that metaverse. It's good that they're coming up with some plan Bs and, and some ideas that will hopefully allow people to remain in contact with their culture. But it's also very sad because it will never replace their, the real and physical home and, and culture that they have. Coming up, can a nation legally exist if it has no land? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. 
It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Carlo, this raises a really complex question about nationhood, doesn't it? You know, does a country under the current laws as they stand, international laws, still actually exist if it's underwater? What's the situation? Currently, it's all relating to physical land. Um, So when your land disappears, you you currently do not have a a status. What they're doing in Tuvalu is they've worked within their own national policies to change those definitions because they want to continue to have their own nation and, and, and claims to the maritime zones despite their land disappearing. And they are asking other countries to recognise these policies in these statements and, and they're having conversations with the United Nations about this. That's an ongoing process. While Tuvaluans are doing all of this to try and preserve their own culture and shore themselves up for the future. I'm interested in what the countries that neighbour them and have more space and, and bigger economies are doing to help them. You know, it's fairly near to Australia, New Zealand, Fiji. Have any of those countries offered help? It's another delicate area. Mm. Um, they're very careful about how they um, want to advocate relocation as a solution because that can be used as other countries as an excuse not to take stronger action on climate change um, when they, if they just put their hand up and say, yep, yep, I'll take your people, come here. Yeah, and why should people have to relocate? Exactly. Um, you know, people might hear about what's happening in Tuvalu and think, you know, it has particular vulnerabilities in terms of how exposed it is to storms, to the rising sea levels, in terms of its wealth and its natural resources. It's a, it's a very different place to where many of the people listening to this live and it's a lot to kind of get your head around. But the likelihood that an entire nation is going to disappear within this century should be a warning to the whole world, shouldn't it? It definitely should be a warning to the whole world. They may be the first to go, but what is happening in Tuvalu is is a indication of what may happen to many other countries if we don't start to change the way we are and we're all responsible for that. So I think that's why it's so important that we look carefully at Tuvalu and, and other countries who are at the at the forefront of the biggest impacts of climate change and, and take heed of what is happening there because it, it, it is a, a warning sign for the rest of us, for the global community. If you had all the leaders sitting in front of you here today from around the world, 
What message would you like to give to them? Act now. And when we say action, we want it now. Now, today. Lily was, um, you know, quite outspoken um, and really passionate. Personally, I will ask all of them to buy a ticket. Come with me here. Stay with me for a month to actually know what is happening. They will um, experience firsthand like a disaster coming and then washing away their home, just everything that they uh, worked so hard for to experience all of this. And one of the people I spoke to actually, um, you know, Willa again, the, the, the foreman on um, the work side who's, who's working on the land adaptation project, um, he summed it up really nicely. And he said, As a Tuvalu, we have to stay here and protect our country. That we should stay here in Tuvalu. Because we save Tuvalu and then we also save the world. Because if we save Tuvalu, then we save the world. Kaolo, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Kalalina Fainu. If you go to theguardian.com, you can see her fantastic reporting from across the Pacific Islands on how the climate crisis is affecting people. Thank you so much as well to Christopher Cobb, who collected all the gorgeous soundscapes and music from Tuvalu that you heard in this episode. The producers today were Rose de la Rabiti and Tom Glasser. Sound design was by Solomon King. And the executive producer was Hummer Khalili. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.